This is Bob Ford of History, Mystery, and Lore, where we travel the Midwest, going to museums and historic sites, talking to experts and old friends who've got great stories to tell. Today, I'm headed to Chanute, Kansas, to the Martin and Osa Johnson Safari Museum. This museum and these people exemplify exactly what we're trying to do with these podcasts. Least we forget the Johnsons. They introduced wild animals of Africa and the South Seas to civilization. If you've ever seen an old movie or the short preview before the movie were wild animals of the world in their natural habitat, it was the Johnsons. They were fearless and brought the world wildlife into every small town. They educated the world through their exploits with 14 feature films, 37 educational films, and 7 books. This all started when Osa left Chanute in 1910 at the tender age of 15 when she first met Martin. They became filmmakers, aviators, photographers, explorers, naturalists, and authors. When they would occasionally come back to the United States on lecture tours, Osa was the star. Just think, especially in those times, what Osa's accomplishments to socially limited little girls and women meant. She, Amelia Earhart, Coco Chanel, Margaret Sanger, and others broke down doors and changed the culture of America through their triumphs. Let us honor and not forget the Johnsons who helped initiate wildlife preservation, global interests in nature, and respectfully introduced native cultures never seen before. Let us go now to Chanute, Kansas and talk about two people who lived a life of incredible adventure. This is Bob Ford. As promised, I'm in Chanute, Kansas at the Martin and Osa Johnson Safari Museum with my friend... Conrad Fralick. Conrad, thank you for doing this. I do a lot of these podcasts, and let me tell you, this was an amazing find for me. But let me give you a theory on what may have happened here. I think young Osa came home one day from school... And her mother said, well, happy 15th birthday, Osa. How was school today? And how many Girl Scout cookie boxes did you sell? Well, Mom, I sold some. School was fine. But, you know, I sold one to a really nice older guy who wants me to go to Africa. Is that okay? Well, sure, honey. But only if, only if you become world-renowned, write us occasionally, and when you get through... Come back to Chanute and open a really cool museum. Okay, Mom, thanks. Oh, oh, but Osa, what do we do with all these boxes of cookies? I ask you, did it go something like that? <laughs> hey, I like that story, so we, we, we can go with that. <laughs> but yes, Osa was 15 when she left Chanute 
on the adventure most of us would find of our lifetime and, of course, of her lifetime. So tell me about that meeting between Martin and Osa. Yeah, they first met several years earlier when Martin was traveling through southeast Kansas towns as a traveling photographer. And Osa dragged her younger brother over there to get his picture taken. Uh, and then fast forward several years, Martin had been on the trip with Jack London, Jack and Charmian London, traveling through the South Seas, and uh, they were set up on a blind date. Something magical obviously happened. They fell in love, got married, and began their travels. Well, what a tale Martin had to spend, that I'm sure Osa had never heard or met anybody quite like Martin uh, before that, but... Uh... Was he, how, how much older was he? He was, Martin was about nine and a half years older than Osa. Yeah, he, so they, when they married, uh, she was 16 and he was 25, turned 26 later that year. Uh, so, it, you know, it was a bit of an age difference, but their different strengths worked with each other and, and they were quite an incredible team. Where did Osa get her adventuresome spirit? Uh, I think... I think perhaps it was in her DNA. Her grandmother had come west on wagons, uh, you know, the, the, as the pioneers, and uh, she also had an aunt who was a circus performer. So I think there was something in the women in her family, that DNA, that, that adventure was part of their, their makeup. Well, what was the first trip that Martin and Osa took overseas? Their first trip together took them back into the South Seas, where Martin had been earlier with Jack London, retracing some of those travels. Uh, but in particular, they went to the what was then uh, the New Hebrides, today Vanuatu, one of the island groups in the South Pacific. And they had a rather dramatic encounter with one of the uh, native leaders uh, by the name of Negapate or Negapate. And uh, they were concerned they might be taken prisoner. They made an escape. Uh, thankfully, a, a British patrol boat happened to be passing by, so they made a quick escape. And then they returned a couple years later after that to uh, a film film the tribe again and actually became very good friends with, with um, Negapate at that time. Well, you'd think after the first uh, escape that they would uh, be reluctant to go back, but uh, again, here comes that uh, adventuresome spirit. They were also big game hunters, correct? Not, well, yes and no. I mean, big game hunters with the camera, yes. Uh, but they were not what you think of as a classic hunter, big game hunter. Uh, their, their focus was on the documenting what they saw in film, photographs, and in writing. They wrote, uh, depending on how you count their books, 20 books, over 100 magazine articles. Their works were tra translated in many different languages. Uh, but, but yes, hunting was part of what they did. Uh, that's because they were working in areas that were very dangerous, number one. So they had to have uh, someone armed to protect themselves. They were getting very close to these animals. This was a time before telephoto lenses, so they had to get quite close to get very accurate, very good uh, films, uh, photographs, and then also uh, protection of the crew, um, you know, their, their, their crew. And then Osa 
who was a superb marksman. I uh, saw was, her yeah. take down a charging <laughs> rhino. Yeah, and part of her job was also to provide a, a, an, an amount of fresh game meat uh, because they would hire large numbers of native guides and gun bearers and porters, and uh, they were working in British, what were then British uh, colonies, and so they were had certain requirements and uh, amount of food, and including fresh uh, game meat that had needed to be provided uh, to the to the staff to their crew. Well, I consider them filmmakers, photographers, explorers, naturalists, and authors. But let's go back to the filmmaker. The films that were coming out in movie studios were brand new. They were just barely talking, and they led with these incredible pieces supplied by Martin and Osa Johnson. People uh, people would go to zoos, but other than that, they had never seen any of this wildlife in the natural habitat. Tell me how people reacted to what they were seeing. Yeah, I mean, excellent point. This was the first time people would actually see an elephant in its, in its natural habitat, hear the roar of a lion. Uh, so yeah, these were dramatic, dramatic scenes. Um, this was obviously a t- time before television. Uh, so and, and nowadays, of course, you can you can switch on cable, and you've got so many superb documentary programs to watch. And and this was introducing Americans and, and others across the world to this new genre of, of uh, documentary films, wildlife filmmaking. And yes, they span that era from from silent. Uh, into sound, and they even experimented some with color film. Uh, the challenge was color film equipment, cameras at that time were too bulky, too large and heavy to take on safari. Uh, so their final movie that they made together, Borneo, was actually done as, as a sepia, so it had some, some uh, texture to it. I've not seen any color footage that they've done, but you can just imagine the, uh, the audience, especially with little Osa out there, just uh, running and playing with uh, wildlife that uh, previously everybody had bars in front of them. They didn't have to worry about them. There were also aviators, and just flying into the bush on safari was incredible. Tell, tell me about a couple episodes that they, uh, they brought back to the United States. Yeah, I mean, excellent point. This was the early, still the early age of, of aviation, and so the planes were somewhat more basic. Uh, there was no GPSs, uh, a few air, developed airports in Africa, uh, so they, they were rather ingenious about this. They actually purchased two Sikorsky amphibious planes, so these were true amphibians. They could land on both ground and the water and go in between. So that allowed them to basically land anywhere they wanted, uh, you know, where had a relatively flat, flat surface. And this allowed them to hop from one point to another fairly quickly, whereas before they had to have large safari parties and, and move rather slowly. And so what they do is uh, they, would, they had a smaller crew that would go ahead of them, establish a, a flat area, a, a runway for them, stock it with supplies, and then they could fly to that point and they use that as the next uh, area to, to investigate, to, to film. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they 
and of course, and this was before transatlantic flights, so the planes, these were smaller planes, a single engine and a twin engine, were loaded onto ships, sailed to South Africa, they were unloaded, uh, reassembled, and then flown up to uh, Central Africa, east, east part of Africa, and Kenya, and uh, that was their base of operations where they could fly for several months and film. Uh, different parts of, of East Africa, and then eventually they flew on further north, uh, across uh, Cairo, Egypt, and the Mediterranean, and then they were eventually then loaded onto ships and sailed back across the Atlantic. Well, and uh, what year was that? Oh, yeah, good, yeah, good, good point. Yes, that was 1933 to 34, and then the resulting uh, film uh, of that adventure, that trip, uh, was called Babuna, a great Hollywood title. They they they, they worked with different Hollywood studios because uh, again before television, so that's the way that their documentary work was shared with audiences. And then Martin's book by the same title came out that that same year, 1935. Uh, that that title of that book was um, uh, Wings Over Africa, a flying safari. Uh, I'm sure nobody else had ever done that. Mm. No, you're correct. Yeah, yeah. There, there are there, there's some aviators that did take planes to Africa at that time, in the 30s. Uh, but yeah, they were the first to uh, extensively film Africa from the air. And interestingly, their planes were painted with uh, unique patterns. Uh, the twin engine had zebra stripes, and the single engine had giraffe spots. Their thought there was that that would be less, uh, that those patterns would not be considered dangerous or hostile to a lot of wildlife. They would view those as, as, as not a predator. Uh, for example, if they, they painted a plane, uh, you know, with cheetah spots or something of that nature, that might be viewed by other wildlife as dangerous. I wonder what the indigenous people thought about an airplane <laughs> with zebra stripes on it flying over their head. Yeah, it's and that's something they tried to do is both record in writing and, and on, on film the reactions of, of, of native peoples, uh, both seeing the planes and, and flying in them. They took some some up for trips, uh, and the reactions ranged uh, were quite a bit. Uh, some of it was kind of indifference. Uh, they they saw the planes, uh, uh, the aircraft as. Uh, shade as providing shade, the wings as providing shade in, in more desolate areas, and and uh, others uh, they just viewed it yeah with with interest and, and awe. Well, they had some interesting supporters. George Eastman was a supporter. What uh, he saw this, and obviously no one else was doing this with a camera, so uh, he was a supporter. And then Disney found. Uh, found their work. Tell me about the relationship between the Disney Company and Martin and Osa Johnson. Right. Uh, the link specifically with Walt Disney is more anecdotal. Uh, certainly Walt would have been knowledgeable about the Johnsons and their work and, and, and likely influenced uh, some of his uh, illustrators, some of his animators. Uh, and, but fast forward a few years, uh, the Disney Company was actually the first uh, organization to license Johnson's footage from our uh, museum for use in a modern documentary program. And since then, there have been many dozens of different programs, that, uh, short films, doc documentaries that we've licensed for, a great range of, of networks and BBC and National Geographic and Discovery and History Channel and so on. And then 
Walt Disney, the Disney Company, again approached our museum when they were working on the Animal Kingdom Lodge at Walt Disney World in Florida. They were wanting to get a sense of what those early safaris were like. And uh, when it came time to decorating the interior, they had a, a, a room called the uh, Sunset Lounge uh, that they then put 30, a total of 36 Johnson photographs in there. So it's the largest ongoing exhibit of Johnson photographs in the United States outside of our museum. Well, I was just there probably six months ago and didn't realize what I was looking at. Well, tell me about another adventure. Did they go back to the South Seas? Uh, yes, they, they actually made one final trip together back to what was then British North Borneo, today the Malaysian state of Sabah, uh, where they had been in 1920, so they returned there in 1936-37 and revisited some of the people that they knew. And by this time, of course, several years later, their filming techniques had greatly improved, and the equipment, likewise, had, had made significant technology advances. And arguably, it is their, their finest film that, that they made, as far as it, from a technical point of, point of view. Uh, but yeah, and one thing that's wonderful, Decade, now decades later, is one of our sister museums uh, to the Safari Museum is the Saba Museum in, in northern Borneo, and we have done joint exhibits, joint publications with them. Our curator has been there several times for various projects, and she has tracked down, with the help of staff there at the Saba Museum, uh, several of the families uh, yeah. who were, were involved with uh, helping the Johnsons, uh, some of their crew members, uh, their descendants, and it's really has been a wonderful partnership, uh, working with with our different uh, contacts, uh, friends, uh, in in uh, Malaysia and in, in Borneo. Well, what you probably don't realize, and what we can't really measure, is what Osa probably stirred in other young women, uh, much like Amelia Earhart. I mean, you you think about what the Johnsons accomplished: fourteen feature films, thirty-seven educational films seven books. And this was all in a time when women were, sorry, second-rate citizens. But she, Amelia Earhart, Coco Chanel, others, were showing the way for the future. And Osa, I don't even know if she realized that. That's a good point. I, you know, obviously she was popular during her life. And in particular, her, her autobiography, I Married Adventure, uh, it's, it was the number one best-selling nonfiction in 1940. It's still in print in English and Spanish and French. And, and she would go on book promotion, book signing tours across the country uh, for I Married Adventure and her, her other, other writings. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. It's, well, just as an example, when I go to family reunions, on my, on my dad's side, the, the, the women that are, are my dad's cousins in his generation, they'll always stop me and they'll say, hey, when we were young, we watched the Johnson movies, and we wanted to be just like Osa. We wanted to yep. wear slacks and go on adventures. And, yeah, there still are quite a few fans of, of Osa. Yeah. Well, she knocked down doors. I'm sure many people, you know, wanted to follow in her footsteps, couldn't quite go that far, but help them take smaller footsteps in normal society. Mm. Well, let's start talking about this museum, because this is really a destination, an incredible place in a, in a town unexpected. But Chinook, Kansas, 
tell me how the uh, what was the genesis of this museum? Right. A well, quick story. Reason the museum is in in Chinook, Kansas, southeast Kansas, is because this is where Osa Johnson was born. This is where she grew up, and Osa's mother. Belle Leedy outlived both the Johnsons. The Johnsons had no children, so Belle became the heir of their stuff, their films, photographs, writings, manuscripts, personal possessions, and so on. That became the core of the museum. Uh, Belle got together with local city leaders and established the museum as a place to showcase their work, their stories, their adventures. Uh, this It finally opened in, in 1961, uh, we moved to our current location, the historic Santa Fe train depot in 1993. We partnered with the uh, Chinook Public Library to make use of this beautiful building because we certainly didn't want to see it torn down. It's, it really is a lovely structure. And, and it was one of those Santa Fe's that had a Harvey restaurant in it. And, of course, that's go. a whole nother, another story. But uh, yeah. Another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yes, the Harvey Girls and... I always think of Judy Garland's uh, movie, The Harvey Girls, and so on, uh, and Fred Harvey. That's that's a wonder, wonderful story. Uh, but, yeah, the museum itself, uh, of course, started with the Johnson's uh, collections uh, they're, they're, uh, that, that Osa's mother had, Belle Leedy. Um, and so it's their films, photographs, manuscripts, personal possessions. And over the years, different collections have been added on to that. So we have a large West African ethnographic collection as well as more recently, we, we've added our South Seas exhibits. And then later this year, we'll be uh, adding to our second floor, to our special exhibit space, and showcasing uh, more of our diverse uh, collections. Well, it, it is a wonderful collection. I mean, you do kind of step back in, into Africa when you walk in here, but it's the photographs. It's the photographs of what they experience that really catches my eye and just to see this, I'm sorry, petite little white girl standing in a group of a bunch of Borneo uh, indigenous people, it it's surprising and just uh, what guts she had. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to where we are, which is Chanute, Kansas. Of course, Chanute is a famous name in Kansas City. Tell me, uh, tell me about your relationship with Mr. Chanute and uh, what he was doing here. Yeah, Octave Chanute was a, among many things, was a civil engineer, and part of his work was running the railroads through this part of the country, through southeast Kansas, and there were, in our area, four competing neighboring towns that wanted the railroad to go through their community. Uh, Octave convinced those communities to join together as one, as one town, one community, and then he would run the railroad right through the center. And so that in, in recognition of that, then the town was named after him, Chanute, Chanute Kansas. Uh, but of course, uh, Chanute was known for bridges as well, one in Kansas City. And uh, there was even for a while, it's now closed down, but there was a, an Air Force base in Illinois, uh, Chanute Air Force Base. And uh, of course, probably is best known for his work with the Wright brothers and experimenting with gliders and his his ideas about uh, air av- aviation and airflow and things of that nature uh, influenced the Wright brothers and their work. So he was a engineer of these gliders? Yes, correct. Yeah, he designed and, and built his own gliders and experimented with them. Yeah, I've read a couple of uh, 
Wright brothers' quotes about Chanute. They thought highly of him. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. Well, back to the Johnsons. They spent four years in Paradise, which also was a book, but they wouldn't tell anybody where Paradise was. Where was it? <laughs> it's located in northern Kenya, not too far from the Ethiopian border. They were, on purpose, they were very secretive about its location. They just did not want others to overrun it. They, they, I think they envisioned hunters decimating the animal populations and, and just, uh, you know, t- others taking, taking over that, that air, beautiful, pristine area. Uh, so, yeah, understandably, they were very, very vague about its location. Uh, but they spent four years there from 1924 to 1927, and you could argue those were their most idyllic uh, years in Africa because they had their own, if you will, kingdom up on the mountain. Uh, it, it wasn't so much a kingdom as, as a group of buildings that, that they had put up and and uh, just an, a wonderful life there of filming and, and traveling and also had her garden there and, and uh, yeah, what a life. Well, just think about that. They, they were worried about the encroachment of civilization in 1927. What do you think they'd think about civilization now encroaching? Oh my gosh. But speaking of civilization encroaching, it did. They came back to the United States and were on tour and in 1937, in an airplane crash, Martin was killed going from Salt Lake City to Burbank, California. What can you tell me about that sad day? Yeah, the ironic story of the adventurer who goes through so many dangers and then dies here in the United States of, of an accident. It was a regular commercial flight. Uh, they were at the beginning of their a standard lecture tour. This is typically what they did after each trip. They would begin working on a commercial movie, working on their writings, and in the meantime, they would develop a, a lecture film. That they then they would travel around to different venues across the United States and share their stories and films with with people of all ages. And so they were traveling from Salt Lake City, where they had started, uh, to flying to Burbank, uh, California, the old uh, Burbank Airport there, and and in bad weather plane straight off course, uh, slid into the side of a hill, and Martin died, unfortunately, uh, sadly, as a result of injuries uh, the following day. Uh, Osa was in a wheelchair for a while, but did f- at least physically fully recover and continued on with that, actually, lecture tour once, once she felt better. Well, and then once she was done, is that is that the start of this museum? And how? when was the start? When did she come back to Chanute? and work with his mother on putting this together. Right. She, well, of course, Martin and Osa would regularly come back to southeast Kansas because they had family in Chanute in Independence, Kansas. And uh, after Martin's death, she continued to, to return and, and visit with people of all ages. She loved loved kids, and, and so it's not unusual to find some of the, the older citizens here in town remembering seeing Osa and having interactions with her. And, and uh, but yeah, her goal, her mission, vision was to create a museum. Unfortunately, it didn't happen during her life. It was, it was once uh, as after she passed away in 1953 uh, that local leaders uh, began meeting uh, in, into the 50s and, and then finally opening the museum in 1961. Well, this place is a destination museum for sure. It's very surprising. It fits the building, but come in and look at the contents and it takes you to Africa. 
But more than that, it really speaks to two people, two adventuresome explorers from Southeast Kansas, Osa Johnson. What an incredible life. What an incredible story. Well, Conrad, I want to thank you very much for taking the time and telling people all about what is here in Chinute. This is Bob Ford along with Conrad Fralick. We are with History, Mystery, and Lore, where we're keeping history alive so you can pass it on. Thank you again. If you enjoy these episodes and know others who would also, please subscribe, gift a subscription to a fellow history buff, and share us so others know we're out there. For as little as $3 a month, go to bobfordshistory.com. You will receive a new episode on the 1st and 15th of each month, bonus articles written by guest writers, and history trivia at the end of each month. There's even a few free teaser episodes at bobfordshistory.com. We've got 40 more of these interviews already in the can. So please join us and help keep history alive so you and yours can pass it on. Thank you.